And here's why, because invariably, as the camera is panning the crowd, there's an individual there holding up a sign that says what? John 316. John 316, okay? And that's probably the extent of many people's Bible knowledge for the rest of the year. Uh, I wonder how many people actually go and look and see what that says. But that being so, I want to start there. In John 3.16, probably the most uh, well-known verse in the entire New Testament, Jesus has been approached by a religious teacher. The religious teacher says, you know, I know you're from God because no one could do the things you're doing. And so Jesus immediately uses that to engage him about the whole new life that he has come to bring. It's really an old plan, but a new uh, unveiling right here and talking about being born again and all of this. And in the middle of his explanation, he says this very now well-known scripture, verse 16, John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. I want you to think about your life. And there are a lot of things going on in your life, a lot of things in my life. But you know, if I were to take kind of a broad stroke and say, our lives consist of two categories, here's what I would say. You have the category of variables and you have the category of inevitable. Those things that are variable, those things that are inevitable. Now, what do I mean by that? Variable are things that change. You can decide, hey, I'm going to change a new fashion. I'm going to look a different way. I'm going to get a new haircut. I want to do a new sport. I want to have a new hobby. You know, I'm tired of dating this person. I want to get a new person. You know, whatever. Those are all variables, right? They're changeable. They're not permanent. You know, they're here today, gone tomorrow. Sometimes they're gone even during the same day. Who knows? Why? They're variables. That's the nature. Ah, but the inevitables are unchangeable. It doesn't matter what variables go on. What Eventually, there's something inevitable that is going to happen. You cannot change it. I cannot change it. That's why we put it in this category, inevitable. And the thing about inevitabilities, and someone once humorously remarked, there are two inevitabilities in life, death and taxes, okay? <laughs> the thing about inevitabilities is they arrest our values and our priorities. Things that are variable and changeable, don't, you know, ah, this is a priority now, not, not, no big deal, but something's inevitable. Someone goes to the doctor and they get a terminal diagnosis, I guarantee you there's a change in value and priorities. I guarantee you. That person does not say, hey, I think I'm going to work more and not spend any more time with our, my family. All of a sudden, there's a new priority. You know why? The inevitable is going to happen and there's nothing you can do about it. Now, death is inevitable to all of us. We understand that. But we always assume I have, you know, X amount of years. My assumption in that area has been diminishing as, as each year goes by, but, you know, uh, we, we assume that. In John 3.16, Jesus says that there are two inevitabilities. 
Two things that you and I cannot escape. Two things that, you know, no matter what we do, I can get busy, I can be distracted, I can do a lot of things, but eventually you cannot stop this. Nothing can stop this. What are these two inevitabilities? The love of God and the judgment of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Two inevitabilities. And as disciples and as those that are not disciples of Jesus that are just curious, we all have life under those two inevitabilities. I want us to look at this and see how does this affect us. First of all, let's look at God's love. Go over to Romans, the eighth chapter. Now, I'm calling these inevitabilities, but I'm going to call them inevitabilities with a wrinkle. So hang with me on that, okay? Romans 8. Sometime later today, you want to... Uh, Encourage your soul. Go back, read the entire chapter of Romans 8. It is so encouraging. But I want to pick up right toward the end in verse 35. The love of God is inevitable. I cannot escape it. You cannot escape it. And here's what Paul says in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love of God is inevitable. You and I cannot escape it. But there is a wrinkle. There is a wrinkle. You see, when it comes to love of God or love of anybody, you have theory and you have experience. Right? Sometimes you turn on the Hallmark Channel and watch a movie. And you're sitting there in theory really wanting the experience you're watching there, right? And you realize, wow, I understand love, but boy, there's a big difference, right? Between theory and experience. I think everyone in this room probably has heard God loves you. Maybe you heard that in a sarcastic way. Maybe you heard that in someone trying to encourage you. But that's just theory. Right now, until you experience. And then it's different. Then all of a sudden, that inevitability shapes your values, shapes your priorities, causes you to stand up and take notice. Theory won't do that for you. Yes, God loves me. Yes, God loves me. Big deal. But when you've experienced it, oh, that's when the light shakes up. That's the inevitability that is amazing. And, and there are four ways that we experience the love of God. There's probably a million and infinite, but right now, the time I have, I just want to mention four real quick. First of all, we experience the love of God in its affirmation of us. Now, what do I mean by that? 
God looks at every single one of us and sees ultimate value. You know how we look at ourselves? Everything in me is really unlovable. I mean, we're going, you know, we read books. I've got to think positive thoughts. Got to have happy. Why did I do that? Why am I not as good looking as so-and-so? Why am I, all of a sudden, all this stuff, this devaluing comes in. God's love, when you experience it, it is affirming. It says you are of ultimate value. You don't have to be big enough, small enough, wide enough, thin enough, intelligent enough, not as intelligent enough, good looking, not as good looking, musical, not, none of that matters. You don't have to be white, black, Asian, Latin. You don't have to be any of that. God sees you of ultimate value. That is what you experience when you are in relationship with him. That's your experience. When you're not in relationship with him, it's a theory. Yeah, we're all important. We're all important. But we're looking on the TV and seeing every reason why I'm not as good as so-and-so. We live our lives acting cool, dressing a certain way. Just, oh man, somehow, can I please be accepted? Because we are so afraid we will be rejected because we're not cool enough. We don't have the money. We don't, and we live lives like, so we act a certain way. We toughen up. We then the whole time, you just by yourself. But when you experience his love, there's affirmation. Also, secondly, when you experience his love, there's vision for yourself. You do not take yourself and put a period on where you are. You realize that your life is a comma and God has taken you somewhere. You realize that God looks at you and sees you and the experience is everything you can become. He's not so interested in what you're not. When you're in relationship with him, he wants to carry you along and take you to everything you were created to be. It is visionary. Thirdly, it is comforting. Comforting when you experience. In theory, people go, well, God's with us. God's with me. They don't feel that. You know why? It's theory. They're not in a relationship with them. So they're hoping. But when you are in that relationship, you realize I am not alone. I am never alone. All of life can come apart at the seams. Everything can just go down. God is with me over and over and over again. In the, the pages of scripture, God reaffirms that, commits that to us. You're never alone. Look at all the great men and women of God and all they went through in a fallen world. They never were alone. And bottom line, that's what you and God, I want anyway. We don't want to live lives of fear. Boy, I hope this doesn't happen to me, man. I hope this doesn't happen. Oh, I hope this doesn't. I would, we'd like to say, let it happen. I don't care. I'll go right through it. I'll let God take me right through it. And if worse happens and somehow I die, I am with him forever. That type of confidence gives you the boldness to live and to really live. That's experiencing the love of God. And then lastly, the securing that the love of God brings to my life. Securing. You know what that means? Everything that happens to me is for my good. Now, it doesn't mean good things. Everything that happens to me is good. But God will always want the best for me. 
So no matter what happens, everything's going to be okay if I'm experiencing the love of God. My parents would allow me to get shots when I was growing up. I never understood that as a child. I'd go to the doctor's office. We wouldn't, nothing happen, he'd do that. I'd go outside and get in the car. And door would open. Come here. One more thing you got to do. And it was a shot. And for the life of me, I didn't understand how that could be good. I'm almost 64 years old, so somehow it kind of got me through a lot of things, those shots, right? <laughs> so it turned out, wow, my parents were actually doing what was best for me, even though I cried, I resisted, I didn't understand it, and I was sincere in that. That's securing love. That's what God will do. You know what? Some of us may lose our jobs. Does that mean God won that? No. But God will do what's best for you. Maybe that wasn't the best situation. Some of us may have to go through some things that humble us out. Does God take pleasure in that? No, but he is going to do what's best. And you know, when you realize that, then no matter what you face, when that doctor tells you something, when you lose everything financially, when all your hopes and dreams are dashed, all you can do is, okay, let's see what's going to happen here. You go to people like Joseph. Joseph was just like you and me. He had dreams, he had plans, he, and they were dashed to smithereens. He was a victim of injustice. He was falsely accused. He was lied about. There was nothing good. It was all taken away from him. And then what was the end of the story? God worked for good despite the bad. See, when you're in relationship with God, it's secure. You know that whatever happens, it'll turn out for my best. It will turn out for my best. You know what, guys? Let me say this. Let me be vulnerable here. I'll realize something. Sometimes I get annoyed when people are late to church. <laughs> it's not me you got to please. It just blows my mind that how in the world can we say we worship God and we treat him like some second-class citizen? Let's just say I don't believe in him and not show up. I, I think that. So it, it kind of gripes me, and then things kind of go wrong and all that. You know what? And this is not an advocation, advocacy for you being late, all right? You need to respect God. Be early. That's good for me. You know why? Because that makes sure that I'm worshiping God and not having to have everything go my way. That works. That teaches me to focus. That teaches me to just love God and enjoy it rather than, why can't we get together? Why can't We need to get together. You need to respect God. You need to get some respect in you. Absolutely. Because of Him, not because of me. But you know what? Even in stuff like that that irritates me, it's good for me. It works out the best for me. That's experiencing the love of God. You know what? Folks, we have some of us here that don't spend time with Him in the Word. Don't spend time praying. You don't do that. Can see every once in a while you check in. It's like something you can do. No wonder it's just theory to you. It's a Hallmark movie. 
That's your best shot. Rather than, I know the love of God, the affirming, the securing, the visionary, the comforting. I know it. I experience it. Why? You were them. You're spending time with them. I can talk about marriage all I want, but until I'm married, now I can talk about the experience of marriage, right? Mm. Well, I'm sure there's a woman that loves me out there somewhere. Well, great, good, but how can I talk about marriage until I really experience it, right? How do we talk about God's love and feel that inevitability and let it shape our values and our priorities unless we are experiencing it? And that's what God has invited us to do, but won't force us in that. The other in inevitability is God's judgment. I want you to look at 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter 3. Interesting. Last letter we have from Simon Peter. He was there in John 3 when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus there. And here he is at the end of his life probably 30, 40 years later, getting ready to face his martyrdom. And for Peter, there was never any contradiction between the love of God and the judgment of God. It just all fit together. No contradiction at all. And what he closes his letter out with in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the, word of that, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. I don't know when my death will come, but I know I will face God on the day of judgment. Judgment is inevitable. Here's the wrinkle, though. 
We decide the character of the judgment. We decide. It will be a judgment of commendation. You will be commended. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Not perfect servant. Good and faithful servant. Well done. Or it'll be a judgment of condemnation. Depart from me. Away. John 3.16 has both of these inevitabilities in the same verse. How do you reconcile that? The love of God and the judgment of God. They are inevitable. You see, the love of God never quits. Even in the judgment. Even in the judgment. What happens, though, is like I said, we decide the character of that judgment. Any of us that have ever seen a trial, especially a criminal trial, either on TV or in person, you see some convicted felon, man or woman, that gets pronounced, sentence is pronounced on them, and the camera invariably pans to the mother. Seems like it's always a mother. And what's the mother doing? She's not sitting there going, yeah, 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 let's throw them away in jail. She's crying. She's weeping her eyes out. Her heart is broken. There is no diminishing of love. But that child made a choice. Made a choice to put themselves outside of the experience of that love. There was a time when mom could hold and hug and stuff, but no longer that child will be separated. You know why? Because of love for others. Because of love. I've seen families that had to do that. Remove a child is one of the most tragic things from the family because the child was hurting, was a threat to the welfare, safety, and health, and very life of other children. What do you do? Well, I love them so much. Do what you want to. Boom, they get hurt. Boom, they get killed. Boom, they get violated. You don't do that. Love does not do that. What does love do? Removes them so that others who have responded and are experiencing that love and want to do that, they will be safe. The mother knows that as that child is sentenced. Love hasn't diminished, but she knows, you know what? My child is a threat to other mother's children. I don't like this, the judge doesn't like this, the police don't like this, the attorneys don't like this. We all wish we could just live in harmony, right? But somebody chose to hurt people. Somebody decided, I'm going to steal your money. I'm going to violate this person. I'm going to abuse this woman. I'm going to do it because I want to. That's their choice. But guess what? The consequence is on them. As loved as they may be, by God, by parents, they've made a choice. They have to be separated because other people are experiencing that love and need to be protected. Does that make sense? Yeah. On the day of judgment, you will not stand before God and just say, I did it all perfect. None of us will. But we all give an account. And that will happen at any time. And there's nothing I can do about that. There's nothing you can do. It's inevitable. 
God's love is inevitable. Now, it's an interesting thing. You go back. In John 3.16, I love how it's structured. For God so loved, there's an inevitability of love. So whoever believes will not perish. There's the inevitability of judgment. And who's standing right in the middle? For God so loved the world, he gave his son. You see, God set it up so it's a no-lose situation if you want it. It's an, all of us that have done the bad things, and even now and all that, there is a way to be forgiven. So it doesn't set us outside the experience of God loves, but keeps us within there. As sinful as we've been, as much as we've done wrong, as much as we've let God down, it doesn't matter because Jesus is right there in the middle. The cross, the death, the burial and resurrection of Jesus, we are forgiven. We get to be cleansed. We get to go on. We get to get up and we get to continue to experience the love of God. We're not separated, but we have repented. We know this is where I want to be. I don't want to be out there. And by the mercy and the grace of God, None of us stand before him, hey, I did it all right. We didn't. But what do we do? I don't want to let go of the experience of the love of God. I have sinned. I forgive me. And we're right there. And the blood of Christ keeps us cleansed. I wonder what was going through the master's mind when the first time he told that parable about the prodigal son. And I wonder what's going through the hearer's mind. You've got to understand that parable was shocking. It was shocking because it, it almost bordered on disrespect for God. Because it showed a Mideastern father, the head of all authority and all of this, running like a common servant, running like someone out of their mind toward their son. You don't run to your son, the son runs to you. And yet here's Jesus telling this parable and people are going, wow, that's uncomfortable. God, the Almighty, acting like a fool. Love. He loves you so much, he's willing to bank a fool out of himself. That's what Jesus is saying. He's running towards you. See, right between the love and the judgment, there's Jesus saying, God is running towards you. He loves you. I wonder if he ever thought this. One day, maybe when they tell this parable again, they need to talk about the third son, the firstborn son that gave his life so that the father could run toward that erring son. Waste his money on prostitutes and everything is coming home. The father's running toward him. You know why? Because the firstborn of all creation died. Thought that son is worth dying for. Just like Sheridan's worth dying for. Just like you are worth dying for. Brothers and sisters, we live life in the inevitable. You're visiting with us, you live life in the inevitable. You can get distracted, I can get distracted. We can do a lot of things, it doesn't matter. One thing's for sure, the love of God is inevitable, the judgment of God is inevitable. And right in the middle is Jesus, who bridges it all together and allows you and me to be cleansed, to come home, and to live a life of affirmation, comfort, a vision, of security, all within the love of God. What do you need to do? Get 
with God. Whatever that means for you. Some of us give off the lukewarmness. Let's surrender. Let's get back. Let, let, let's let God love us and enjoy that love the way we're created to. Some of us, we need to study the Bible. We need to say, hey, I need to figure this out. I want to respond to what God's done for me. Whatever that means, get with God. Singer's going to come forward. And as they do that, Frank, would you close us out in a prayer? And then we'll have a closing song. Uh, and please, parents, go back, pick up your children. If you want to fellowship with someone, take them with you, okay? Show them how you stroll the hallways on the way to the uh, children's ministry so we can be prompt in picking our kids up. Let's all stand. Frank, lead us in a prayer, and then we'll sing. Heavenly Righteous Father, we come before you humbled knowing that it's not by anything that we do that you grant us your grace. It's only because of your love for us that you have given us your only begotten son. I thank you for your love, your grace, your glory. Lord, I wish blessings upon this congregation so that we can wake up in the morning and be in your word so that we can have a closer relationship to you, God, so that we can Learn more about who you truly are, God, even though we'll never know who you are. Um, help us to continue to strive for more, a more closer relationship with you. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen.